0: Welcome to WMFA, a podcast where writers talk writing. I'm Courtney Ballastier. This week, we have a bonus mini-episode featuring a conversation with our last guest, poet Rebecca Gail Howell, about class and art. Rebecca grew up in Kentucky. Her parents ran a diner where Rebecca worked and where much of their family life played out. I grew up one state over, in West Virginia, raised by my mother, who worked an administrative job in the county government. We didn't live on the grueling schedule that Rebecca's family did, but I also spent a lot of time around my parents' job, sitting in her office after school or working community events on weekends. Maybe some other time I'll tell you guys about the time when I was a teenager that I had to dress up as a crash test dummy at the county fair. Here, Rebecca and I talk about how our backgrounds affect how we do creative work, how we define it even. We talk about the acute fear of never having enough money, and the hurtful misbelief that following creative paths is not quote-unquote work. I think it's especially important right now, as we face devastating cuts to creative support programs like the National Endowment for the Arts, to better understand the many different places, and I mean places in the physical and spiritual senses, that creative work springs from. When I was putting together this episode, I read a column by a West Virginian writer named Bill Lepp. Lepp was writing about the plan to gut programs like the NEA, and he pointed out that the White House budget director, in justifying these cuts, three times invoke West Virginian coal miners. One quote is, do I really want to make the coal miner in West Virginia, or the auto worker in Ohio, or the single mom in Detroit, pay for the National Endowment for the Arts, or the Corporation for Public Broadcasting? And one assumption the White House is making here, of course, is that in the Venn diagram between art lovers, coal miners, single mothers, and auto workers, between art lovers, Detroiters, Ohioans, and West Virginians, there couldn't possibly be any overlap. That art is the property of the coastal liberal elite. Lep goes on to refute this idea, a dangerous piece of propaganda on many levels outside the purview of this show. But this incident and the conversation that you're about to hear all swim in that same murky territory the misconceptions about what and who we talk about when we talk about art. The worries and fears that Rebecca and I discuss aren't unique to us or our specific backgrounds, and that's the point. But we can only dismantle those misconceptions by talking about them.
1: There's such meaningful work in the world. That has nothing to do with fitting well into the machine. Profit.
0: Uh, in terms of kind of the time breakdown, you know, when you're when you're in that space of sitting at the computer and listening like how how long is a is a shift there?
1: Uh, I think four hours is safe. I think at the fifth hour, I start to get pissy. (laughs) With the purgatory, I was so pissy. I was so frustrated. And then eventually depressed and sad and scared that the story that had a hold of me was not going to come. That I got into the unhealthy habit of of very long shifts, you know, and um, trying to force it instead of taking those more healthy breaks. And Welcoming my whole life as part of the process, you know, understanding that going for a, for a run is part of
0: the process. I find that also very difficult. It's it's also, and I think I've probably said this. It's taken me so long to equate reading with work and not with recreation, and to not feel guilty doing it in the middle of the day. Why? I think that there is a part of me that has a very rigid definition of what work is and it means you're sitting at your desk not even sitting and waiting you are sitting typing you are answering an email you are doing something that you are being paid for and i think a lot of that is just you know like you said the working class background or the the just the freelancing is a very you know you have to get used to a very jagged rhythm and i think you know in some ways too i think that's just how my mind works and that's something that i try to be mindful of that i put things in sort of absolute terms and I need to kind of back myself away from that. So it's a, it's a combination of things, but I'm working on it.
1: Well, like I say, just be gentle with yourself. I think, um, poetry anyway, I can't, I can't speak for other forms, but I do think poetry wants to be without profit. And I, I really am so, th- I find myself thankful for that every day. Like that's such a useful teacher. Thank you for teaching me that again. But so that there's such meaningful work in the world that has nothing to do with fitting well into the machine of profit. As I age, as I go deeper and deeper into this life I've chosen, I am more and more interested in those models and less and less interested in the part of me, and it's, and I'm, you're just going to have to take it as an article. Say since you haven't been around me in this moment, but the very um, fight or flight alert part of me that wants to answer that email right away—you know—that wants wants to respond to the client as soon as possible. Um, it's it's hard for me to turn that off, and I. But I am I'm growing very suspicious of that part of me. <laughs> And I'll say about reading, too, um, that, you know, I do think, I so I so have come to feel like I have a lot of evidence for the, that reading and, and, and having an active reading practice, and by practice I mean like yoga practice, like every day, same time of day, is the way to give back to that nighttime mind that you then listen to and draw from. You know, my buddy Salvatore Scabona, the novelist, said to me once, um, and this is another one of those post it stickies in my brain, um, that take it, you know, he said, take it all, take all the research, take all the dreams, take all the hurt in your own life, in your mother's life, in your grandmother's life, just compost it, let it rot throw it all on the pile, let it rot, and then let something new come up. And that, to me, is the work of reading.
0: What are you reading right now?
1: Um, I just picked up a book on the history of the Cherokee um, and the diaspora from the East Coast across.
0: I just bought yesterday the new George Saunders, and I'm very excited Mm. to start that, Lincoln and the Bardo.
1: Well, don't, don't let the fact that you're excited make you feel guilty that you want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think that that's something that I was trying to, to put together while we were talking. And I think that there is also this part of me, I think it's self-inflicted, but I don't know if it's the way I grew up or the place we grew up where you just, I I think I got this idea that like, work was, work is work you know, is is other stuff. Mm -hmm. And like like these these things that you're excited about, other people might get to do that, but you don't get to do that. Like it's it's not quite it's not quite that, but I think there is like a flavor of that.
1: I think I think it has absolutely everything to do with being working class in America. I mean that you just that phrase that you just uttered could have come out of my mother's mouth to me as a kid. I mean that's it. Um and Labor is our birthright and it's a burden and it's our lives. <laughs> <laughs> don't have any fun. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, I think a, a seminal moment for me in changing my mind about all this, um, I don't remember the essay, but it's in one of his essays. Wendell basically says, um, You, a person will start eating healthy if they follow. Their taste buds. If they, if a person is given a choice between a homegrown tomato and a factory-farmed hydroponic tomato, there's gonna to be no, there's no choice, right? Like, as animals, we go towards the pleasurable thing. We go toward what is delicious. So listen to that part of yourself, you know. And and I. I remember reading that in one of his essays and thinking, right. Like I when I watch my dog, her animal intelligence, her body knows bad water when she smells it. So, um I'm not making an argument for hedonism, but you know, like
0: <laughs> <laughs> your body knows what it's doing. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's parts of you
1: that are wiser than You've been told, and, and maybe maybe it's worth listening to them for a minute.
0: You'll find links to some of the things we talked about today on our website, WMFAPodcast.com. You can email us at hello at WMFAPodcast.com, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at WMFAPodcast. Download and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Reviews are greatly appreciated. Or visit our website for more options. The WMFA logo was created by Unsold Studio, and our theme music is Jazz Dancer by Double Winter. Find them at doublewinter.bandcamp.com. WMFA is made in Detroit by Courtney Ballastier LLC.